You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. I always praise the efforts of the Hornets marketing team. They do a fantastic job, and they delivered once again today on the media drop-off. I got a Hornets, can't even say it, on the Hornets media drop-off. Got a fanny pack today that they are going to be handing out to all the fans once they go to the Spectrum Center to watch them play the Houston Rockets. It's pretty awesome. Fanny pack. Fanny pack. Hornets got their fanny whooped last night. Oh, good transition. It's not planned at all. Against the Golden State Warriors, 121 to 110. 11-point victory for Golden State. Felt like it was a little bit bigger margin of victory for them. I looked at that first half. I looked at the Jumbotron, and I saw after about the 17th dunk in the first half that Golden State landed on the Hornets. I looked up at the Jumbotron, and the score only said that the Hornets were down 10. I was shocked to see the Hornets actually keep it as close as they did for a lot of this game. Golden State, I, I saw Nada tweet this out, and I've seen some people discussing it on Twitter. It, it, maybe it's a little different. Golden State certainly weren't playing the hardest that they've ever played, but I still think they were trying, right? It's still, they weren't exactly performing and executingly, executing perfective you know, basketball out there on the court. Still, it was a Golden State team that looks so beautiful just to watch them play in person. When you go there and you see Clay Thompson running around crazy, you see the crisp ball movement, it, it is the way the game is supposed to be played. And the Hornets were trying to take away the three-point shot. I mean, their whole defensive effort seemed to be uh, concerted in, in taking away anything that they wanted that the Golden State wanted from three, so they had a lot of looks inside and probably had to adjust their game a little bit. Uh, so that could have had an effect on the way they looked. Borrego mentioned it in the post game presser that they did not want to allow them to get to the hole, so they or they did not want to allow them to shoot a whole lot of three point shots. So it's pick your poison. What do you want to allow Golden State to do? Because they are so good, they are going to beat you in one way or the other. And so they gave up a lot of free dunks last night. It was I thought it was still. I understand it's Golden State. Still thought it was really bad basketball allowing them to get that many easy shots. I I understand Golden State, the best three-point shooting team of all time. I get that. Still, there was a lot. There was some easy shots for them. Kept on dunking it. There was a million of them. And so the Hornets, they give up a million points in the paint, and they allow 120 to Golden State. But, Doug, the biggest story of this game, as far as a positive connotation goes, it's Cody Zeller giving you 28 points, only one missed field goal for you. How do you like those apples, Doug? I mean, finally, right? I mean, Cody Zeller finally put some stats in the box score. Shiny stats. They're not the ones that you have to click a couple pages over to find. No, look at all these numbers. That's the first column I go to is points. And there's Cody. a 13, there's a 14, there's a 92.9. Holy <laughs> You mo- like that? Holy for holies. <laughs> That's not too bad. 28 points, 9 rebounds, 2 assists. Almost a double-double in this game. 28 points and just the 9 rebounds almost got 10. 37 minutes for Cody. Cody had himself a game last night, and Borrego said afterwards that he thought Cody Zeller played his best game of the season the on Saturday against the Brooklyn Nets, and then he followed that up with a performance like he did against Golden State. It's the only reason that the Hornets didn't walk away from this one, you know, down 40, because the Hornets could not hit a three to save their life. Seven of 33 from beyond the arc, 21% on the night. and uh, But Cody Zeller taking advantage, I think, of... DeMarcus Cousins' uh, inability to really 
guard anything. He looks different. I've yeah. got, I've seen DeMarcus Cousins play live a couple of times. It's one of the more frequent times I've seen a superstar play, and he looks different. And not that he was all that athletic in the first place. He's always been a guy that isn't going to rise above the rim all that much. But he actually had some mobility. You could give it to him at the top of the key or at the free throw line. And you saw him, even in New Orleans, I thought there was some mobility from him where he could get to the basket when he wanted to. Man, there is not much mobility from the Marcus Cousins, and it showed defensively. Yeah, and this was kind of one of the nightmare scenarios that DeMarcus Cousins would be so limited by that by that injury that he would become at some point unplayable and I think you're starting to hear the conversation around the Golden State Warriors of the efficacy of starting DeMarcus Cousins what that does defensively to the Golden State Warriors the Warriors have always been known for you know just this extremely exciting powerful offense but as Steve Clifford would repeat over and over this was always a team that could also defend extremely well and DeMarcus Cousins clearly hurting them. I mean, there's a conversation, can he switch and guard guards? Well, Which he, is no. Which is, the answer is no, definitively. But if he also can't guard a more athletic centers like Cody Zeller, then you've really got a problem. Yeah, you do. And you look at Tom Haberstroh's tweet. We actually, again, we had him on for All-Star break to get us ready. And he has these one big numbers, the one big thing that he likes to do or likes to put out there for everybody to pay attention. And his one big number was the net rating of the Golden State Warriors starting lineup with DeMarcus Cousins in it. And it was a negative net rating. So I believe he tweeted it out again, right when about the second half or the first half was ending and the second half was about to start, Haberstroh put that out there and said, look, this has been a negative net rating when DeMarcus Cousins has been on the floor for Golden State, and that has still been true up to the first half of this Charlotte Hornets game for them. And so you wonder, is this a guy, now it's only a one-year deal, he's going to be looking for more money, he'll probably get it, I would imagine, from some other team anyway, so he's not going to be on Golden State again. This is not, does this experiment work for the future still does this work for the postseason do you have to go to another player like a Kavon Looney who they've played a decent amount like just their death lineup more where they put a smaller guy at the five do you start to see more of that we did see the death lineup by the way a little bit last night yeah, and I mean, uh, DeMarcus Cousins, a plus 10 in this game, despite giving up all of those points. We, we say all this, and he had his best game against the Hornets, of course. Well, I mean, you know, 24 points, 9 of 15, was uh, 11 rebounds. I mean, a pretty domestic effort from DeMarcus Cousins, but, you know, you had Clay Thompson, 11 of 19 from the field, 3 of 5 from beyond the arc. By the way, we should mention that the Hornets came in with a plan defensively to take away the three-point line from the Warriors. That's a bold plan. And, you know, it was somewhat effective. 14 of 41 from the field, 34%. That's a that's certainly not uh, a usual uh, line for the Golden State Warriors. 41 so. attempts, still a decent amount, but you're right, only made 14. If you were to tell me heading into that game that Kevin Durant would finish with 20 points and Steph Curry would finish with 16 and the shooting percentage would be below 50, I would say... Do the Hornets not necessarily win, but, oh, that's going to be a really close game. And it was never too far away from them until last three minutes or so. They have a bunch of turnovers and completely kick it the chances out the door. Still, Kevin Durant, 20. Steph Curry, they combined for 36. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, only 12 turnovers on this game, but as you said, a lot of them came late. And then I thought uh, they they just had some critical turnovers at, at points when they were five, three back from the Warriors and, and really had a chance to kind of stun the Warriors and 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 maybe make a run towards a win. They would just I thought the passing in this game was 
was really bad. They had well in in Golden State. While it might have been bad, there was a couple of dimes that some of their guys gave you. Draymond Green had ten assists. I thought Demarcus Cousins only had three. He had a phenomenal pass to the corner, I believe, to Clay. Mm-hmm. They're such a good passing team and defensively, as you mentioned, Steve Clifford would constantly bring up. Man, Draymond Green blocking a Kimball Walker step back. Draymond Green, you can hate him. There, I'm sure there's a lot of people that do hate him. Watching Draymond Green play defense, it is special. There, his ability to recognize immediately what is going to happen for him, a guy that is rather portly, I would to say, right? Is that fair to say? Of of that's a word, portly. Yeah, yeah I would <laughs> right. I, I rotund. Would, yes, I would say that he's a little bit rotund. I would say Draymond being able to recover fast enough to block Kemba Walker's step back three pointer. And Kevin Durant gave Kemba problems when there would be any switching because they would switch quite a bit. Defensively, I just don't know what you do except attack DeMarcus Cousins, which is what they did. That's a, that's the plan always when a good team comes into or comes to play Charlotte is put a tall guy on Kemba Walker, and Kemba struggled in this one from uh, from the arc, 3 of 12. Another guy that struggled, Miles Bridges, uh, 7 points, was a minus 11, was the, the, the only start. Well, no, Cody Zeller was also a minus in this game. Um, but Bridges, another one, and 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 I have to give props to Jeremy Lamb because he had a few steals in this game during some of those Hornets runs. He did, and and I think I mean he's playing hard. He he couldn't hit a three, uh, but he was getting to the line. Sixteen points, seven assists, five rebounds. That's a hell of a stat line for Jeremy Lamb off the bench. Yeah, I want to bring up his game log real quickly uh, to look at some of the stats because I believe it was against Washington. He had a couple. Remember, they were right in a row. Washington, he had four steals. Golden State, he had four steals. So showing you some effort defensively while coming off of the bench and didn't play well against Brooklyn. He only got 19 minutes, only one made field goal in that game against the Brooklyn Nets, but did play better against Golden State, did play pretty well against Washington. But, Doug, no Malik Monk in this game. Seven minutes for him, just a little shy of reaching the seven-minute mark. Misses a couple field goals, doesn't do well tracking Clay Thompson, and he gets sat down for the remainder of the game. Yeah, I mean, you blink and you miss Malik Monk these days. That's how it is. And you watch Malik Monk, uh, you're hoping that he can come back somehow leave you some confidence heading into the offseason. And I had this discussion on the wake-up call that I want to explore further. We discussed just what do you do with Malik Monk as far as your confidence and having in him for the future. Oh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I love these conversations. Oh, second only to tanking in my favorite conversations around the Charlotte Hornets is what to do with Malik Monk. On the wake-up call, right. It, it's it's the tanking, and then it's what, what do you do with Malik, and just your overall belief in Malik. But comparing him to Kimball Walker, in his beginning, in the beginning of his career, I found some interesting comparisons. Right, I think it'll be fun to take a look at, and that's exactly what we'll do next here. It's the Locked On Hornets podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. The one draft pick you hit on was Kimba Walker, and you, you drafted Bismack Biombo before him. Oh! You got it right the second time, which is great. I am too smart, SMRT. But you drafted Biombo. Before Kimba Walker. So, <laughs> again, you almost messed that one up as well. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. You said it's a word. I was like... We're I'm, coming. Just, I'm just impressed with your vocabulary. Well, thank you. I was asking if you thought Draymond Green was portly, if that was fair to say. But as a person that does mix, it's more of me mixing up my words because I can't get out the pronunciation correctly while I'm trying to move through topics. But 
I did bring up Portly to ask, is Draymond Green, is that safe to consider him somewhat of a rotund type of player? Yeah, I was just saying that I thought your vocabulary was fair. I mean, that's a, that's a good thesaurus word, Portly. Uh, thank you. Yes, I had to dig deep trying to find the word that accurately described Draymond Green. But a Portly guy blocking a Kimba Walker step back three, you could see Kimba was frustrated when that happened. We're coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do. And that's make more sales. Malik Monk, not so portly. In fact, quite the opposite. About as skinny as you could possibly get. And numbers not portly either. Numbers not fat at all. Not fat with an F or a PH. You look at what he's been able to do this season. You wanted to see an improvement, and you have. It still hasn't been the improvement that you'd like to see. 36% from the field. 34% from beyond the arc his rookie season. 39% from the field. That's a 30% increase or a, a three-point percent increase, but still below 40, which is you want to see these guys at least get to 40, and he's all the way down to 33% from beyond the arc. They're not good, Doug. I mean, those are some bad offensive numbers, especially when you pair those numbers to what he does defensively or doesn't do defensively. You see a lot of his deficiencies. You've seen him be hot and cold. You go through five-game stretches where it might be a little bit generous. He gave us one five-game stretch where we were all feeling very good about Malik and saying, no, he's untouchable. You can't trade him for Marcus All. And I still don't think anybody would go back and say, okay, I would have done that move now. You still have to hold out hope for the future. But once again, after we see that good stretch, now there's been three games post-All-Star break where Malik has not provided you with a whole lot of production and Malik Monk failing to get in the rotation once again. So are you ready to give up on Malik Monk. That That's is, the conversation. That That's is, the conversation that I want. That's the conversation that I need. That's the conversation that I want to inject into my veins. Do you like that conversation? Yes. Well, let's have it. Here, Here's the needle, Doug. Malik Monk <laughs> has not been good in the last couple of seasons. And we talked about it again on the wake-up call today, whether you need to shut the door on Malik Monk. I am one, maybe to a fault of mine. You know, For Frank Kaminsky, I thought it was entirely too soon for people to write him off completely after just one and a half year. People were ready to write him off after his rookie season. Hindsight, those people were right. After he was drafted, they were ready. <laughs> they were ready as soon as they turned down the 17 picks that Danny Ainge offered to Michael Jordan. Yeah, it was 19 picks. Yeah, I'm sorry. I missed a couple. I think there was a couple second-rounders in there that he threw in. They were all ready forgetting about Frank Kaminsky being any type of successful basketball player for them. And so I, I hold on to maybe things as a fault where I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to be amazing, but I do like to give some guys time. It has worked for a lot of players in the NBA. It has worked for the best player to ever don a Charlotte Hornets uniform in Kimba Walker, certainly the best Hornet of all time. Kimba Walker's numbers were really bad his first four seasons. And I think we often forget because he has been so good, certainly the last three years that he's been named an all-star, really the last four years where he finally got that field goal percentage up above 40, the three-point percentage, it got to 37 after never failing to pass 33. You look at him, he became more efficient basketball player and a better utilized one. But you go to the first four seasons, Doug, they were really bad. Never shot above 42% from the field three seasons out of his first four. Yeah. He was below 40. And that's atrocious. That is that is god-awful. And you look at the three-point percentage, they were god-awful as well. His usage rate, it was 25% about every single season. It, it hovered around 25, give or take, right? 
Malik Monk, his first two seasons, it's been pretty similar to to Kimba Walker and what he had his first four years. Malik Monk was about 25.7. You got a couple, you got a 25.8 from Kimba, 25.9, a 25.4, something like that. Very similar. Okay, but there's a difference because there's an expectation. Correct. That that wasn't on Kimba Walker. The the knock on Kimba is that his shooting could could wax and wane. Whereas with Malik Monk, there was an expectation around draft time. You kept hearing over and over, not only from idiots like us, but also from the people that are supposed to know these things, uh, the the Lenardis and the 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 draft, all the draft experts, the draft express guys were saying this guy is plug and play. This guy's someone that just you can you can get in right away and he's gonna heat it up. And and that didn't happen, and that's why people are upset, I think. Sure. Yeah, and, and I think you have every right to be upset with Malik Monk's play. My only my only thought process is I'm ready to make a definitive decision on Malik Monk with one more year. I'm a three-year guy. Give a player three years because I think you see a lot of players take a big jump from second to third year. And what makes your comparison interesting is that Kimba Walker was in a situation in Charlotte where they really could not give up on Kimba. They couldn't bury Kimba because there was nobody better to play than Kimba. This is the experiment I want to partake in, is the exact thing that you just brought up. Let's switch these guys' roles. So let's put Malik Monk at a 25% usage rate on the Charlotte Bobcats, who I would imagine most people think is the worst NBA franchise of all time. They certainly have the worst winning percentage in a season. They only made the playoffs once, and they got swept by the Orlando Magic. That is the success story of the Charlotte Bobcats, or lack thereof. You put Malik Monk on that same team, and you swap out Kimba Walker. Let's say Malik Monk is Kimba. Different position, sure. We can have the Kimba uh, that that we can have the Malik Monk as a point guard, shooting guard comparison, and that that conversation fine. Just you put Malik Monk in that situation with that usage percentage. I could absolutely see Malik Monk giving you about 17 points. Yeah. On awful shooting, I could see those numbers very easily. Right. My question is, if the Charlotte Bobcats were not god awful, if they weren't the worst franchise in NBA history, do they give up on Kimba by that third year? Because Kimba's numbers were really bad, and he gave you another bad year in his fourth season in the league. So if Charlotte was in a position to where they were the Charlotte Hornets now, if they were a mediocre team that was fighting for an eight seed, seven seed, maybe just outside the lottery, is that a team that says, you know what? We need to give up on Kimba. We've given him three years, never shot above 40. Do we get rid of him? And at that point, is it fair to compare that with Malik saying, well, hold on, let's not give up on him quite yet because it's a very different situation. And yet there's a lot of similar numbers that these guys are putting up. Yeah. So in your thought experiment, you're you're saying let's elevate, let's elevate Tony Parker or some, you know, replacement level point guard to above replace slightly above replacement level point guard to the starting point guard position of this current Hornets team and then drop early Kimba Walker pre-figuring out how to shoot three-pointers consistently, Kimba Walker, into the lineup. Does the same thing happen to Kimba that has happened to Monk, which is, you know, he's given opportunities 
failed to take advantage of those opportunities and then it falls off the rotation. So let's and you're saying yes. Let's put second year Kimba on this team. Let, let's put let's put, you know, I don't know what player you want to put in actual Kimba's place, right? Let's say that you have a legitimate all-star point guard that does the same things as Kimba. Let's just say you leave Kimba here. Let's just say that you leave present Kimba. Oh my god, now we're now, getting into some we, sci-fi. Are we getting to inception doppelganger right. situation? Let's get into let's get they into They couldn't meet each other or one of them would disintegrate. <laughs> let's get into Kimba Kimba Walker inception. I want to play this role. Walkerception. Let's go to Kimba bringing him in, swapping him out for Malik. Let's say second year Kimba's on this team. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not second because second year he actually shoots forty two percent. So let's go third year Kimba. Right. <laughs> let's go with let's go with the year that helps me make my point. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, one of the years that was he was awful. Right. Fine. Go with whatever Kimba you want. Let's go with first four year Kimba. Anyone you want to put. Let's put him on this team. Does Kimba get buried on the bench because you've got present Kimba and you've got Tony Parker both at the one? And then if you want to try to play him as a combo guard or just put him in the backcourt because he can shoot, does he take any one of the shooting guard spots that you have occupied by Nicholas Batum now and Jeremy Lamb? You know, I I think Kimba gets buried. I don't think that inefficient Kimba gets any playing time. And so in very different situations, Look, I, I'm not saying Malik Monk is going to turn out to be Kimba Walker. That is rare, right? Like, I, I think people make a big jump from their third to fourth season or second to third season. I'm not saying Malik Monk is going to be the best player for a franchise that turns out to be a 30-time All-Star once as a starter. I'm not saying that. I'm saying perhaps we don't shut the door closed on Malik Monk and say, you know what, his future is written. I'm done with him. Yeah, the reason Kimba's story is what it is is because, and and the reason that national writers have been so attracted to him this season, and last season to an extent as well, is that his story is so rare. A player that spends four years in the league somehow doesn't, you know, get get, get, uh, sent off into the flotsam of, you know, NBA rosterdom. Yeah, this has been a really, really wordy show. We're (laughs) smart. So uh, it's rare that that happens, that he then makes that leap so late. But the thing is, Kimba did that. That was a personal choice that Kimba made. He had like a come to Jesus talk with with Steve Clifford and decided to wholly dedicate himself and change the way he played basketball. And so the question is, does Malik Monk have to make some of those same adjustments in his game? Is it possible that he could do that? Is there a Nick Collison telling Jeremy Lamb to hit the cold tub. Is there a Nick Collison from Malik Monk? Yeah, Lamb. I mean, Lamb is the obvious comparison to what's going on with uh, Malik Monk. And I think, honestly, I haven't shut the door on Malik Monk being able to contribute to a basketball team. I think I have shut the door on him becoming a star or an all-star, I think. And that's where you and I disagree, because I think you see him as as a possible Kemba Walker story well, where he makes a, a late leap. I've shut that door, but I think with a scenery change, he could be a Jeremy Lamb story and become a contributor somewhere. This is, this is my point. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I still see Malik Monk as a guy that could potentially pull off of a Kemba Walker story. I'm saying that is that's rare. I get that that kind of growth is rare. We are talking, I see it on Twitter. I'm discuss- I see it discussed that people are done with Malik Monk. My whole point is that it is pretty premature to shut the door on Malik Monk right now when we've seen a lot of success stories. We can go to Pascal Siakam, who is going to be the most improved player in the league this year, having a huge increase uh, in his shooting percentage. 
from his Beyond the Arc numbers. And Pascal Siakam, from second to third year, Siakam is doing a lot better job. You can go to Lou Williams, who is the biggest comparison that we've seen from Malik Monk. Two years, didn't do all that well. Third year, Lou Williams starts to figure it out a little bit more. My whole point is that it's too soon to quit on Malik Monk as a guy that can really help your franchise. What you're saying, essentially, is that that take would be imprudent. It would be impetuous. It would be precipitant. It would be inopportune. It would be undeveloped. I couldn't have said it better myself. It's Walker Mail. It's Doug Branson. You can find myself on Twitter at Walker Mail. Doug on Twitter at Doug Branson LOH. we got one more segment to go. It's the Locked on Hornets podcast. Embryonic. This is Locked on Hornets. 10, Al Jefferson. 9, Anthony Mason. 8, Gerald Wallach. 7, Baron Davis. 6, Del Curry. 5, Glenn Rice. 4, Muggsy Bogues. 3, Larry Johnson. 2, Alonzo Mourning. Nice. Number 1, top Charlotte Hornet of all time, Kimba Walker. Thank you, everybody. The list is done. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Clippers announcers got in trouble thinking it's cool to pick on deceased NBA players. What? Apparently that's a thing now. Apparently it's not a thing because Clippers announcers had to apologize. So during Monday night's game, the Clippers, they ran a graphic highlighting the 1998 draft day trade that actually sent Dirk Nowitzki and Pat Garrity, there's a name, from the Milwaukee Bucks to the Mavericks in return for former Michigan standout. Robert Tractor Trailer, former Hornet as well, represent. It's one of the worst trades in NBA history. Certainly, you can call it that because you get Dirk Nowitzki to the Mavericks, and he's one of the best players of all time. But the Clippers' Fox Sports primetime ticket team, Ralph Lawler and Michael Smith, piled on by saying that Trailer is now playing for the, quote, Detroit YMCA over 40 league. Well, no, that's not true. And I remember when this happened, Robert Trailer died. He died in 2011 at the age of 34 of a heart attack. Uh-oh. And so you want to pile on a guy that is dead Ooh. for playing in the Detroit YMCA over 40 league. Yikes. And that it sometimes like sometimes you have to give guys a little bit of leeway because it's hard to know that all of these guys are dead sometimes. <laughs> right? I mean, we, we hear it on Levitard, big fans of the Levitard show. It's, did you kill right, such they, and but such? But they accidentally killed people. They, they accidentally This do. is the reverse. This is the you, reverse. So you didn't know. And, and plus, you're just It's always on better it. to accidentally kill someone than to make fun of someone right. when they're already dead. Bring somebody back to life just to insult them. Is that what you're saying? That's not okay. Yeah, that's like it's it's a form of spitting on someone's grave. It's not it's not a great. And this is confusing to me, right? Because it comes during a game where the Clippers and Doc Rivers went out of their way to honor another deceased player, Dirk so, Nowitzki. <laughs> that's so true. I saw that the only person playing slower that is actually so the the hustle stats that you can see that are broken down that the only player playing slower than LeBron James is is Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki the only guy. Speaking of death. You got a segue for us? Well, I was just going to say you know what they would do to an actual Maverick, the 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 logo if it were moving the way that Dirk was moving. <laughs> oh, that's 
I'm just saying. It's, it's the humane thing to do. Don't tear the ACL, Dirk. Don't do it. It's time. It's time to go. <laughs> Watching Dirk Nowitzki play as slow as anybody. And that guy can't move at all. It's DeMarcus Cousins out there. Watching him get beat every single time back door. Dirk Nowitzki just can't play any more defense. Dirk Nowitzki, awesome. Very cool for Doc Rivers, by the way, to go on the mic and express his gratitude for Dirk's time in the NBA and give him a shout-out. I'm trying to think of when the last time Hornets fans have had to watch this happen. I mean, you watched it to an extent without Jefferson. Yeah, you, you, you didn't went- have Al. You didn't have peak young Al, so you got what three, four years from Al, and you saw him certainly become decrepit. Well, well, no, I would say I think that's taking it too far. You certainly saw him become a bench player, but then he became a starter contributor in he, that playoff series, and then you know he had to go. Well, he he played well. That was the time Cody Zeller moved into the starting lineup in place of Al Jefferson. Right. He moved in, and there was God. Was there one year of useful Al Jefferson in Indiana? Because I watched a lot of Pacers basketball, and I don't remember a whole. It was lot. a smart. I think it was a smart move by the Hornets. No, it was a smart you know, move. In hindsight, it was a smart move by the Hornets. I'm saying we got to see Al Jefferson get pretty old. But you're right. I don't think, and that's tough for some of these mid market teams, right? Because you see a lot of these guys get really old that are stars because teams hold on to them for so long. But when you're talking about a, a smaller market team about you know trying to hang on to mediocrity. There's not too many guys that you hang on for so long and see the entirety of the NBA career and then eventually see them hit father time and wither away into retirement. It happens. Listen, players get debilitated. They get enfeebled. They get venerable. They get grizzled. Uh, they get over the hill. They get super annuated. Thanks for listening to Lockdown Hornets here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. You can follow us on Twitter and you can follow us on Instagram at Lockdown Hornets. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back to preview the Rockets game tomorrow. And to Deluvian. <laughs>